Yeah, today I'm going to be talking about faith and trauma. And this is actually coming out of two dreams that I had this week. I'm having dreams again. And uh, that's really exciting for me. Uh, a while ago I shared that my dreams had been... Um, I don't think I was that specific, but uh, it was my dreams had been kind of stopped for a little while. And uh, so um, it was kind of like a, we had a, a morning about things. I forget exactly how that all worked, but uh, Patty actually prayed for me and said my dreams would come back. And so I have two dreams, and uh, one is for this service and one is for next. And uh, so no camp stories today. We're going to talk about <laughs> my dream instead. So this dream was uh, about, it was like in a church. I don't know if it looked exactly like this church, um, but I think it was, or well, I'm not sure. Um, it might be partly. And in the dream, there were jars. There were all these jars everywhere. And there was a well in the back of the church, in the back, uh, my right corner. And there, uh, and people were carrying the jars, and they would take the jars, and they would take them to the back. I have to be quick today. I have to think about time a little bit. I don't normally think about time, but, uh, okay. Sure, why don't you give me a warning at, like, half past? Okay. So, they'll send me a text. <laughs> it's good. Got me worried my phone's on it. No. So, um, okay, so, yeah. So, there was a well at the back, and there were uh, jars everywhere, and people would uh, go to the back, and they would fill up the jars, and they would bring them to the front, and they would pour them out. And the emotion in the dream, uh, I mean, all that was fine and good, but the emotion in the dream actually came when I saw people only, em like, not emptying, well, they were emptying some of it, but not emptying the jars completely. And that's when I started to feel really sad in the dream. And I felt sad because um, it wasn't even because they weren't pouring out. The real sadness came because they were carrying the jars back, and it was really heavy. And it was unnecessarily heavy. It was like it was heavy maybe to carry the jars to the front, and that didn't seem that burdensome. If you can maybe you see the distinction between heaviness and burdensome, you know, you're, something might be heavy, um, but that doesn't mean that you're like feeling the weight of it. What really seemed kind of upsetting and sad was that people were taking these half or quarter emptied jars and carrying them back to the well in the back, and. If they had emptied them in the front when they were carrying it back to the well, the jar would have been empty for that walk, and it would have been lighter and easier for them to carry. But instead, they, had, they only filled, uh, emptied half the jar, they were carrying this jar to the back, they were pouring the jar back into the well, and then they were filling it back up again. So that was the dream that I had, and hopefully that dream, I'm not going to give you the kind of my interpretation of it yet, but hopefully... Uh, that sets up the talk, and I'll come back to that dream at the end. Um, when I think about uh, the focus of today as well, it kind of is a bit similar to last week, where last week I was talking about, like, how do people become miracle workers? How do they get their power? And uh, it's, it's a little bit similar this week, um, but today I'm focusing on Peter. Not our Peter, but, like, Peter, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, that's still not a very good distinction, right? You could be like Peter, Peter, couldn't you? Like uh, <laughs> Peter in the Bible. There, I think that did it. <laughs> you didn't quite make it in the Bible yet. Okay, so um, 
Peter in the Bible, uh, I, I actually, I remember I was preparing for this and unfortunately my preparation, my, the beginning of my preparations for Sunday mornings often start on like Wednesday. So that's not great. But I think I got a little bit of an earlier start and I was thinking about this on Monday. And um, I opened to this scripture and it was, uh, it was a good day. So I felt like this was kind of meaningful. And um, maybe if we could put it up on the slide, I think it's the first one, Acts 5, 15 to 16. Do you guys like this stuff on the screen? The scriptures on the screen? Yes. Okay. People like that. Okay. I'm, I'm going to try. I'll try to do it more. I normally don't, as you probably know. But now you're reading ahead of me. Okay. So, so <laughs> I don't have, I've lost control. <laughs> okay. So Acts 5, 15, uh, 15 to 16. So that, uh, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. They were all healed. This is probably one of the most intense times of miracles in the New Testament, I would think. Uh, Maybe aside from Revelation. Um, they were all healed. And I've been, so I've been thinking about this, and the sermon actually only came to me, like today's talk only came to me from like 3 to 6 in the morning on Friday night, or Saturday morning, something like that. And because um, I couldn't put this together into a real talk, because I was just thinking about, I started thinking about the substance, how it's like, wow, it's getting on handkerchiefs, and and I think that's similar to the jars, how the jars, you know, you pour out the jars, there's this substance um, but I want to talk about how Peter became a miracle worker because before this, this all started with he- healing a lame man and um, he healed a lame man outside the temple a big miracle it got everybody's attention so let's go to the next scripture, Acts 3.12 there we go it's working and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people the people were gathering, that's what he saw uh, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, the miracle of raising of uh, the lame man walking? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So it's helpful to see what didn't do it. It wasn't his own power, and that's kind of maybe obvious, right? Like, we can't do that. Uh, and it wasn't by his own piety. So that, that's a little less obvious, because sometimes we get confused by that, right? Like, we have to be holy, or we have to be uh, a certain kind of godly in order to be able to heal people. So he's saying it wasn't his piety. Um, let's go to the next one. Uh, 16. Here we go. And his name, uh, so this is skipping a little bit, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So it's faith, but it's not just faith. It's faith in his name that made him well. And so it wasn't human power. It wasn't piety. It was his faith in Jesus. And so I was looking up research on um, faith. And I, you know, I did the, I didn't put this up, but I did the Hebrews 11 thing. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. I was looking up confidence and I was looking up um, 
assurance, like these words, I don't want to get into like the Greek, but basically it was, you know, belief, what we think about is belief, and one of the elements is trust. You really have confidence, you really have trust that this is going to happen. You have trust that Jesus is who he, is, who he says he is, and you trust that, um, I guess, what, what you feel he's doing is actually going to happen. And I think that's really interesting because, um, well, I'll continue with my, my thoughts here. The next thing that I thought of, and maybe we'll do the next scripture, is the, the story of the centurion. And, uh, yeah. So this is Luke 7. Um, and uh, verse 6. And Jesus went with them. So they're talking about the centurion, and they're very, the people were very concerned about the centurion because the centurion had been very good to everybody. And the centurion had um, sick people with him. I think it was his kids. I should have known that. And uh, so I'll pick it up at verse 6. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things from the centurion, he marveled at him. And turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. So the centurion seems to show this, uh, you know, assurance and things hoped for, conviction. And one of the things that I think about faith, and this I can't escape it, is this feeling of like stirring myself up when I'm praying. Of like, of, of some kind of effort of like, I believe, I believe, I believe. And I don't feel like that's what faith really is, but I still can't escape it. And I think this, I like the centurion because I think the centurion is a better definition of faith. And when I think about the centurion and how he demonstrated his faith, he demonstrated it because you couldn't necessarily see the centurion, I mean, maybe Jesus could or God could, but you couldn't really see his faith by looking into his soul. Um, at least we can't. What you, the way that you saw his faith... Uh, was by um, seeing his behavior be different, uh, by seeing his behavior change because he had faith. So, when, because the centurion believed that Jesus really was who he said he was, he thought about Jesus differently and actually came to conclusions based on that assurance, based on that trust of Jesus was really who he said he was, he came to conclusions about what Jesus could do or what he couldn't do. And he was, he was actually operating, even not more than Jesus, like Jesus knew who he was, but it was like, wow, you actually are figuring out who I am before I even tell you who I am because you're, you're, like, you're connecting the dots. Like you're thinking, like your thinking is actually different because you believe I am who I say I am. Like if you believed who Jesus, and this comes to this question, which is really troubling for me, if you believed Jesus was who he said he was, what would you be doing differently? And I find that really convicting. I don't, and, you know, so I sat in my chair and I was thinking about this for length, at length of time of like, what would I do be doing differently? How would I be thinking differently? Like the centurion actually did things differently and the centurion actually 
thought things differently because he believed. And I would sit in my chair and I would say, what would I be doing differently if I actually believed? And I have faith, but if my faith was like, if Jesus really is, like, would I be anxious right now? How would my emotions be different? What would I be doing with my time? And I think it's really convicting. Just to give you an example of how this could work maybe today, and this isn't a perfect example, but it is an example. Um, I remember hearing a, a church leader talking about this, and he said, have you ever heard church leaders say, you know, when visitors come into the church, they say, okay, you don't have to donate because you're visitors, right? You kind of hear that sometimes at certain churches, right? And I'm not like, I kind of get it. And there could be reasons that I don't know for why they do that. So I don't want to like put a bunch of judgment on that. However, what he said next was interesting, which was, if you really believed that giving was a blessing, if you really believed it, would you say that? But if you really believed that it was like, oh, I'm taking something from you and you should be giving that to your church, maybe you would say something like that, right? So if you really believed, like if you really had faith that this was a spiritual act and it wasn't just for my church that you're doing this, you're doing it because it's a blessing for you, you're doing it for God, then give, right? If you really believe that, that would be a centurion response. And you can see the faith, like you're operating differently, you're thinking differently. So when you look at people's lives and how they live their lives and what they're doing and how they think about God, you can kind of see if they're living in faith or if they're not. And we're given a certain amount of power to live a certain way, so that might limit us, but you can kind of see how the thinking changes at the very least. Maybe I don't have the strength to do everything I would want to do, but the thinking changes. And that's what the centurion showed. And because your thinking changes, everything changes. If you really believed, what would you be doing differently? So let's come back to Peter. Now, I'm not going to get into the story because it's, it's pretty familiar, but like Peter denied Jesus three times. And I'm not going to go through all the scripture for that, but it's there and, and it's a good story. And so Peter denied Jesus three times. So I'm going to ask this question. Was he being a centurion when he denied Jesus three times? Did he have faith in that moment? Now, if you really believed that Jesus was, and you really understood Jesus, maybe even beyond what he told you about himself, but you really thought it through and you were like, this is who Jesus is, and I'm really understanding him, and I've spent time with him, and I get who he is, and now I'm looking at him on the cross, and I believe who he is, who he said he was, and everything else, would you deny him three times? Would you be anxious in that moment? I don't think he would have been anxious. I think he lost faith. I don't think he was acting in faith in that moment. I think he was looking at a disappointment. He was looking at a potential. Maybe, maybe it's not 100%. Maybe there's some gray in the middle where it was like, but he was looking at it and he was like, this isn't turning out the way I thought it would turn out. And maybe it's not going to turn out the way I think it's going to turn out for me. And he had emotions and he had an experience in that moment. And all of a sudden they said, do you know Jesus? And he said, no. And now, how am I doing? We're doing pretty good. And now we come to the trauma. Am I ready to go to trauma yet? Yeah, I think so. So he was faced, when, when you think about Peter, here's Peter standing at the, at the cross or with the knowledge of the cross and what that means in reality. And I believe that that was a 
I know I use trauma very loosely, like I use the word trauma more loosely than most people do. So there's a definition of trauma that's very kind of refined and, and set about seeing uh, certain things. And even though it was traumatic, I mean, Jesus, this was a huge trauma, right? You know, like this was Jesus on the cross, there's blood everywhere, he's going to die. So even under that definition, this is traumatic. But I'm thinking about the trauma in that moment, not of the fact that Jesus is dying, but the fact that the promise isn't being fulfilled the way that you think it's being fulfilled. Like, okay, this is traumatic in that Jesus is dying, and I love Jesus, and that's traumatic. But there's also the trauma of, like, I thought Jesus was going to do A, B, and C, and Jesus is doing whatever this is. And that's traumatizing to my beliefs. That's traumatizing to everything inside of me and all of the things that I was expecting. And so he's facing this overwhelming evidence that maybe Jesus isn't who he said he was. Looking at Jesus, and I mean, we know the rest of the story, so that's hard to imagine. But I mean, just thinking about Peter in that moment, he was facing this reality, this traumatic reality. And one of the things that trauma does, and this is really interesting, there's a lot of things that trauma does, but there's two really big ones. It takes away your trust in yourself, and it takes away your trust in the world. And what's another word for trust? Faith. It takes away your faith. Trauma takes away your faith. When I see clients who come in with trauma, whatever definition of trauma you want to use, when, I, when they come in with trauma, they don't trust the world anymore. Bad things happen, Cyrus. Well, should you go to dental school? I don't know. Probably not going to be worth it. Something bad's going to happen. I don't trust this world anymore. That's a long time to be in dental school. Something bad's going to happen. It's not going to be worth it. I don't trust people anymore. And then the other thing, do you trust yourself? It's like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Bad stuff happens to me too. And sometimes I don't react the way I want. In fact, I feel pretty guilty about what happened. It's even hard for me to think about. Please, can we not talk about it? I don't want to talk about it anymore. I don't want to talk about what happened. I've lost trust in the world, and I've lost trust in myself. So when you think about Peter, in this experience, the trauma of this experience, looking at the cross, he lost, I don't know exactly what he lost, but I could, oh, thanks. I could see it both ways. I could see him losing trust in the world, and then by the world I mean God in that moment. Like he, it's like, here's Jesus on the cross. Right? Like, here's Jesus dying. Everything's falling apart. Is he, is he who he said he is? I'm losing faith. I'm losing trust. I don't want to, but I am. And afterwards, after he denies Jesus three times, I could see him losing faith in himself. Am I, I, I was the one who wasn't going to do this, and here I am, and I'm the one who did it. Am I who I said? Am I who I thought I was? Am I who he said I was? Am I worthy? Am I worthy? Now, I believe that this is really relevant for this church because I think that this church is a church of Peters. And I'm not saying that in that you're all going to go deny Jesus three times. What I mean by the fact that this is a church of Peters is that you guys are all pushing. You guys are all people who are like the ones stepping out on the water and are like, me, Lord, I can... You know, choose me. I'm going to go. I want to, I, want to, I want to do this stuff. I want to do this stuff. You're not in the back of the crowd. You're the Peter in the front saying, let's go, Jesus. Right? This is the church primarily of Peters. 
It's a little intimidating for me, I have to say. <clears throat> Trying to out Peter all of you, and it's tough. You're supposed to be up at the front. <clears throat> but I'll deal with my own insecurities. Um, so this is a church of Peter's. You guys are all pushing. You want, you want to do this stuff. You want to do this stuff. And Peters are prone to trauma. Peters are prone to trauma. The greater the step, the greater the disappointment. The greater the push, the greater the confusion. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But I want to focus now on what, Jesus, what did Jesus do with Peter to heal Peter? And in turn, what is going to Jesus, what can you do to heal yourselves? Let's put up this next scripture, uh, John 21. And this is familiar, but I thought this was important to read. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? And he said to them, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he said to them, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to them, to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what, by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, so Peter's traumatized. He doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't believe in God in the same way. I don't know exactly, but he's tr- he went back to fishing. And this is how Jesus handles the trauma. This is the trauma therapist. And he's saying two things to Peter. He's saying, do you love me? And I believe this is... I mean, when we look at trauma therapy, one of the big elements of trauma therapy is relationship. Relationship even with the therapist, primarily. And, and Jesus is, is bringing him back to what's important. It's kind of like Peter. Don't look at what's going on around you. Don't look at the cares of this world. You don't need an answer to all of these questions. Instead of answering all of that, he said, do you love me? I don't want to get into all of that, what happened at the cross. I want you to focus on me, and I want to focus on you. I don't want you to compare what happened with the other disciples. I don't want you to think about what you saw on the cross. I don't even want you to think about what you did in response. I want you to think about me and how you feel about me. 
And once you get that sorted out, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And then obey. These are the important things that you need to worry about. You don't need to think about the trauma. You don't need to think about whether you did everything right. You don't need to think about whether you're worthy. You don't need to think about whether I am who I said I am. You need to worry about whether you love me. You need to worry about the reality of that and you need to worry about obeying me and just let everything else go. Is that church healing people? Is that person healing people? Why am I not healing people? Why was I not healed? Why, am, why were they not healed? Peter, just feel it looking at you. Just like when you ask these questions, why? I thought I had faith. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Don't think about that stuff. Peter, do you love me? Well, if you love me, let's go. Let's go. Let's go feed the sheep. Let's go do it together. In my dream, just to recap the dream, I had the, there were jars everywhere, there was a well at the back, and people were filling up the jars with glory, power, I'm not sure, they were coming to the front of the church, they were pouring it out, and then they were going to the back to fill it up again. But what was grieving my heart in the dream was that the people who were pouring out the glory weren't pouring out all of it. And they were carrying a heavy jar, half filled with glory, or three quarters filled with glory, back to the well, pouring it back into the well, and then filling it up again. And if they had poured it all, all in the front, they would have been able to carry back an empty jar. It would have been easier for them. And better for everybody if they had poured out their glory in the front, God's glory, and brought it back empty, ready to get more. One of the reasons... That people don't pour out their jar in the front is because they don't believe that it's there. God isn't who he said. I don't trust. I don't trust that God is who he said he is. I don't trust that I'm who I'm. Maybe I'm not worthy to pour out a jar. I'm not worthy to get a jar full of whatever, of glory. And maybe there are no jars. So it didn't work last time. So I am going to maybe just like, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm not going to pour out any. Maybe I'm not even going to pour out all of it. And then you get this burden, unfortunately, this very unfortunate, unnecessary burden to carry back to the well. And the burden isn't the fact that you're carrying glory back. The, the burden is, I had a promise and I am not acting on that promise. And that creates something in me that's unfortunate. I'm not living to my full potential, and that's not the burden he meant for you. You're supposed to carry a burden, but the burden isn't supposed to be not pouring out your gifting, not pouring out God's glory. The burden is supposed to be carrying it out and pouring it out and carrying it back empty, not you kind of wondering, is the Lord real? Am I worthy? And how does this work? We're a people like Peter, and I believe that we're a people who are vulnerable, just like Peter, to discouragement when we don't see the breakthrough. And there's one way that we could cope with that. There is a way, and this is what a lot of the world does. We could cope with the lack of breakthrough in a very common way. 
we could put down the jar. We could stop. People even go into cessationism. I don't believe that cessationism, which is the stopping believing in the gifts of the Spirit, is based on the Bible. I, I actually think you have to do some gymnastics to get that in the Bible. I believe that cessationism is based on experience. I believe it's based on looking at Jesus on the cross and saying, wow, I don't think you're who you said you were. I think it's Peter in that moment saying, what's going on? This all happened and now it's not happening, so let's create a theology to make that make sense. It's trauma. I don't trust anymore. I don't trust you, Lord. I don't trust that you, I don't trust either that you work in the world in this way, or I don't trust maybe that you are going to use me. And I don't know which, but I don't want to think about it anymore. So, like, it's not real. The jars aren't there. Or if they're there, I'll just go through the motions with the jars and do half the jar. I don't want the talents that God has given you to become a burden because you're not using them. I don't want you to be carrying around potential all day, frustrated because you're not using your potential, your God-given gift and destiny. You're supposed to carry a burden, but that's not supposed to be your burden. And I believe that we, as a group of Peters, need to learn how to go back and forget about comparison, forget about what's happening in other places or with other people or other people's <coughs> stories, and focus on what's important because that's going to help you continue to pick up the jar. And what's important is, Peter, do you love me? Don't try to make it make sense. Don't try to go and make a theology around your experience. I am who I said I am, and you are who I said you are. Don't lose trust because you're traumatized. And you don't have to be traumatized. Just look in my eyes, and let's go feed the sheep. Look at me. Love me. Remember who I am. And pick up your jar, fill it up, and pour it out. Let's do it together. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for the blessing of being Peter's for you. Lord, I pray that we would not lose one Peter from discouragement. That we would not lose one Peter to experience. Lord, I pray that every Peter here would keep his eyes on you, keep her eyes on you, and go and feed the sheep. Amen.